Okay, we're in chapter 14, and we got up to verse 12, and we saw up to now that Yeruvam, the king, sends his wife to find out what will be the fate of their very sick child. The name of the child is Aviyah. She comes disguised, try to mislead the prophet, but the prophet isn't fooled. And now he giving over to her a very, very harsh prophecy, not only to the fate of the child, but that the entire house of Yeruvam will be obliterated. And we're in the middle now of this harsh judgment that will be meted out to the house of Yeruvam. And then in verse 13, we suddenly have a little of a change. And it says, he says, kol Yisrael. But this child, Aviyah, who's going to die, all of Israel will come to eulogize him. And bury him. He alone of Yeruvam will come to the grave. Of course, that's because we saw in verse 11 that the rest of Yeruvam's seed who will die they're going to be wiped out and be eaten by the dogs and, and the birds, it says there in verse 11. But this particular son, Aviyah, he will merit a proper burial. Why? Because there was found in him something good, towards the God of Israel, in the house of Yerovam, Beit Yerovam. So why does this child merit a proper burial with eulogies and so forth? Why is that pointed out here? So it says, He did something good. So what good did he do? That it says here in verse 13, So we saw last time that the sages teach us that Aviyah went against his father, that Yeravam set up those blockades preventing the Jews from going to the temple in Jerusalem and Aviyah removed them and tried to go to Jerusalem himself and went himself to Aliyah the Regal and that was the good thing found in him, that he was the black sheep of the family, so to speak, went against the dictates of his father, King Yerovam, and that's the good thing that was found in him. But because the verse is, is a little bit strange, because it suddenly says, why would it say suddenly about this child we never met? All we know is that, know is that he's mortally sick, that he's something good about him. So there's something deep going on here. And the, and the Zohar comes... And this is brought in Moam Loez on our verse, in chapter 14, verse 13, that what does he do to merit uh, this fanfare and eulogies and all of Israel coming? So, so the Zohar there says this is similar to what's happening in Zechariah, in the book of Zechariah, in the prophet Zechariah, chapter 12. There also, the narrative talks about a big funeral that all of our Israel participates in, and they mourn a beloved son and eulogize this beloved son, very similar to our verse here. Who is this beloved son? The Talmud tells us that they're talking about the funeral of Mashiach ben Yosef. So according to Jewish tradition, before Mashiach ben David, there's Mashiach ben Yosef who precedes him. And we, they, we, they gleam from, the, from our verse here that, that Avia, when he passed away, his, a son was born to him who was the progenitor of Mashiach ben Yosef. And that's why we have these, this verse here about a funeral that made an impression on Am Yisrael, this, that all of Am Yisrael comes to, because that was the good that was found in him, that Aviyah from the tribe of Ephraim, Yosef, is the progenitor of the Mashiach ben Yosef, and that's what's happening in verse 13. Very deep stuff. So it says now in verse 14, continuing the strict, harsh judgment against Am Yisrael, uh, against Yerovam and Beit Yisrael, 
Vayakim Hashem lo melech al Yisrael. And Hashem will raise for him a king over Israel. Asher yachrit et Beit Yeruvam. And he will cut off the house of Yeruvam. Hayom hazeh ugam ata. Not only now, but all those who will be born from now will be cut off. So Hashem will, will raise a king. And this is two kings from now. From the kingdom of Israel, he will wipe out the seed of Yeruvam. We're going to see that's going to happen. King Basha will wipe out the Yeruvam seed as as he sees as a competition to his throne. And it continues in verse 15, as the prophecy now moves into higher gear, it says, And now the prophecy is going not on just the house of Yeruvam, but on the entire kingdom of Israel. It says that Hashem will smite Israel like a wheat reed sways in the water. So, he compares the kingdom of Israel as a reed that sways in the water, which is very... Uh, accurate because we saw that Israel was um, the kingdom of Israel, the ten tribes were very, very unstable all throughout, like a reed in the swaying in the water. But in, interesting that in um, Sanhedrin 105, it says there that the blessing of Bilam was wasn't as great, wasn't as good as the curse of Achiah Shiloni over here. Why? But Bilam said that the Jews will be like a cedar tree. Now a cedar tree is very strong. But if a strong wind comes, it's strong enough, it can break it. On the other hand, in our curse here, we're, we're being compared to a reed swaying in the water. Well, it's true that it's not stable, but it can never be uprooted because it kind of just sways in the water. You can't uproot it. It goes with the flow. Like the Jewish people in the exile, just going with the flow. You can knock us down, but you can't knock us out. So in a way, it's a hidden bracha that we're like a reed swaying in the water. And he continues the harsh prophecy, not just for Yeruvah, but not for the Machut Yisrael. It says, V'natashet Yisrael me'adamah, And he will uproot Israel from the land that his father has given us, V'yazareh me'evel enahar, and scatter them to the other side of the river. Why? Yan asher asu et ashrehem machisim et Hashem. Because they made their trees of idol worship, which anger the Lord. Now, this is a groundbreaking prophecy because it's already saying now that the ten tribes will be scattered. It's going to be maybe 180 years from now. But already here, in the first, during the time of Yerovam, the first king of Israel's reign, we get a prophecy that this entire kingdom will be scattered to the other side of the river. That's a reference, of course, to Assyria coming in and, and exiling the, the ten tribes. They're going to come to the Shomron and and other places, and and scatter the tribes, as this verse t- teaches us. So, um, already here we have the prophecy of the lost ten tribes, and it says, why? Because they made their trees of idol worship. So we see another sin, the, Ash- the Asherah, was a tree that they used to plant near the altars. And so, in addition to Yeravam's regular sins that we talked about, we see some more stuff going on, that they put up Ashrehem, these uh, tree trees, and that was the custom of the Canaanites to do so. So they're copying the Canaanites, obviously. There's a deterioration uh, that's going on with the Machut Yisrael. Ver- verse 16. Well, this is one of those verses where you have to fill in the blank. It says, And he will um, give Israel, but it doesn't say to what. So you can fill in the blank. He will give Israel over to its enemies, or maybe give them to shame. 
doesn't it doesn't say exactly to what, but from the context, we know that it's one or the other. He will give them over, let's say, to their enemies. Why? Because of the sins of Yeravam. That he, not only did he sin, but he caused Israel to sin. And that's the big uh, sin of Yeravam. Not only did he sin personally, but he was in a position of authority, so he caused others to sin. The Jewish people. And it's very hard to do tshuva if you're machti, because if you sin personally, you can do tshuva. But what about all the other people you cause to sin? And therefore, Yeravam is punished severely. He's one of the three kings that doesn't have a place in the world to come. And that's one of the reasons why. It's the first king mentioned that it says, Hechti et Israel, that he caused the Jewish people to sin because they listened to him. He was the gadol. We saw he was a great Torah scholar. And when he said to do what he said, People listen to him, and those golden calves remain there throughout his entire tenure. And, and not his, not only his, but throughout the entire 200 years that the kingdom of Israel existed, they, they remained those Eglezahav in Beit El and Dan, and that's on Yerovam, because he's the one who established it. So that's the end of the, of the uh, judgment against Yerovam and Malchut Yisrael. So it says now, verse 17, Vatakam eshet Yerovam, v'telech, so, Yeruvam's wife hears it, and she goes, the, where does she go? Tirzata. She goes to a place called Tirza. So that's where um, Yeruvam established his kingdom. It's, this is before they established their kingdom in the Shomron. That was later on when Omri bought Shomron from somebody named Shemer. At this point, they, they, uh, they have their um, kingdom centralized in Tirza, which is also in Ephraim. And Hiba Bisafa Bayit, she came to the threshold of the house, Vanarmet, and just as she came to the threshold of the house, the child died. Now, if you recall, Achia Shilani said the child would die when she comes to the, uh, the uh, border of the city. Here it says the child died when she came to the threshold of the house. So that doesn't have to contradict the prophet. It could be that the house was situated at the border of the city. In any case, we go down to verse 18. And they buried him. And they eulogized him. Again, we have this emphasis on the son of Yerovam, which, which, which seems to be superfluous, yet something deep is going on that might bring us again to the idea of Mashiach ben Yosef. And he eulogized him. Call Yisrael. Again, all of the... Jewish people eulogized him. Just as the words of they came to fruition, exactly what he said, that's exactly what happened. The prophet his prophecy came, um, was actualized to the, to the T. So it says in verse 19, and the rest of the uh, events of Yerovam, that he fought. That's interesting. We didn't know that he fought. It didn't say that he fought. But apparently, the Jewish kings all fought. That was one of the, part, uh, that's one of the roles of a king, is to fight. And even Yerovam, who was, uh, brought evil un- un- unto his kingdom, with all his bad deeds, he fought for the land of Israel. That was a natural thing. As a matter of fact, when the Rambam talks about the book of kings, it's called the book of kings and their wars. That's really the name of the Book of Kings. The Book of Kings and their wars. So part of being a king is to fight. And all those things, they're written in the book of the, in the chronicles of the books of kings of Israel. So that's a book we don't have today, but 
We see that through every king. As we uh, wrap, wrap up the kingdom, the career of a king, they always wrap it up like we have in verse 19. And it says that the rest of the stuff he did was chronicled in the book of Kings of Yehuda or of Israel. That book, unfortunately, is extant. We don't have that book. We have chronicles. We have Devrei Amim, but that's not the same book. That's something else. So it says in verse 20, Vayamim HaShamalach Yerovam, and the days that Yerovam ruled, Esrim Ushtayim Shana. He ruled for 22 years, Vishkav Im Avotav. And he was put to rest with his fathers, and his son Nadav ruled in his stead. Again, his son's name were Avihu, who just passed away in, in what we read. And Nadav is the other son. Nadav Avihu. And it's interesting that Yerovam himself does get, die a natural death. He doesn't suffer the fate of the rest of his seed. Maybe in the merit of his previous righteousness, he is buried, proper burial, and lays with his father's. Okay, now we get to verse 21. We see that the book shifts gears now. And this is going to happen now throughout the narrative here in the Bible that because we have two kingdoms and they're operating in parallel time, at the same time, we have to go from one kingdom to the other. So while Yeruvam was ruling and we were describing what was going on with him over in the Machut Yisrael, we're now going to shift gears to what's happening now the Machut Yehuda. So in verse 21, ben Shlomo malach So let's go back to King Rechavam. He was the son of Shlomo, and he Malach Biyuda, we know he ruled in Yehuda, Ben Shana Rechavam And he was 41 years old when he became king. And 17 years he reigned in Jerusalem. The city that the Lord chose to place his name there. Out of all the tribes of Israel, the Shemimo, and the name of his mother was Naama Ha'amonit. The name of his mother was Nama the Ammonite. Now, this verse 21, as we introduce Rechavam again, going now to the Malchut Yehuda, it's packed with information. First of all, he was 41 years old. And we know that if he was 41 years old when he started to rule, automatically teaches us something. That that means that when his father Solomon ruled, when King Solomon ruled, that means Rechavam had to be one years old because Solomon ruled for 40 years. And when he passed away, his son took over. So that means Rechavam was one year old when Solomon began his rule, which means that when Solomon ruled, and we know he ruled at the age of 13, that means he already a child, a one-year-old child named Rechavam. So that's pretty young to have a child. But Rechavam was obviously the firstborn child. He was born when, Shal- when Solomon was, was 13 years old. And according to the Dat Mikra, it's very likely that David, his father, King David, set up the Shiruch, set up the marriage, because David had connections to Ammon. We saw that he was close and allied to Ammon. And he gave as a wife to Shlomo, Naamah, the Ammonite. And that child born from that union is Rechavam. And so that is one interesting point. He ruled for 17 years, it says. And why does it say he ruled in Jerusalem? And they point out this description, the city that Hashem chose to place his name there, out of all the tribes of Israel, uh, uh, this this uh, beautiful description of Jerusalem, or the significance and the magnificence of Jerusalem. Why stick it in now? Say he was in Jerusalem. We know he was in Jerusalem. But they point out again 
that that is the chosen city out of all the tribes, probably to to um, to, neg- to negate uh, Yerovam's claim that he's been saying all along in these last few chapters that Yerushalayim isn't the focal point. We saw all, all this time Yerovam is trying to shift the centrality of Jerusalem and take the focus off Jerusalem. And now the scripture comes to teach us, no, 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 that that is the central place that Hashem chose out of all the tribes. He didn't choose Ephraim, he didn't choose Shem, he chose Jerusalem. And the end of the verse tells us that his mother was Naama Amonit. And we mentioned that, obviously, at 13 years old, uh, for Solomon to have a son, Rechavam, he was given, uh, he met his wife through David, his father David set it up. And is Naama Amonit uh, a positive figure? Now, this is an interesting question. Was she uh, good, uh, uh, righteous or not? So the Radak and others want to say that Naama Amonit was not righteous. And why, why do they say that? Well, first of all, if you look at the next three verses, and verse 22, 23, it talks about the sins in Machut Yehuda during Rechavam's time. That Rechavam's kingdom wasn't so great. And they did some sins there. And they're blaming Naama Amonit for that influence. Because it comes right before they start to describe the sins in verse 22 and 23 and 24. And not only that, but Naama Amonit is mentioned in the final verse of our chapter. The final verse of our chapter again mentions Naama Amonit was the mother of Rechavam. So I mentioned it twice because they want to put it here the scripture in scripture to teach us that that is a uh, prelude to the bad things that are going to happen. So they're kind of blaming Nama Amonit for some of the bad things that went down during Rechavam's time. Another proof that she wasn't the greatest is because if you look back in chapter 11, when we talked about Shlomo, Shlomo King Solomon, during his older days, was influenced by his wives, they mention uh, the Ammonite gods there. Twice they mentioned the god of Ammon. So we see there was a bad influence of Ammon, Molech, Kmosh, these deities also could be connected to Nama Amonit. So that looks at her in a negative light. On the other hand, in the Gomorrah, in Baba Kama 38, there, there's an interesting discussion. It says that Moshe Rabbeinu, when he was fighting uh, before going into the land of Israel, you know, he, um, he didn't merit to go into the land, but he fought the wars on the east bank of the Jordan River. And when he went to Ammon and Moab, he was ready to just wipe them out. Moab and uh, this, the nations of Ammon and Moab. He did a Kabachomer. He said, if I wiped out Midian, the Midianites, who were only accessories to the crime, and Moab and Ammon were much worse in making the Jewish people sin in the desert, certainly I have to wipe out Ammon and Moab. And Hashem said to Moshe, Moshe this is all, by the way, brought down in Baba Kama 38, as I said. Hashem said to Moshe Rabbeinu, don't wipe out Ammon and Moab. Why? Because in the words of the Gomorrah, two good doves are going to come from them. Ruth from Moab and Naama from Ammon. So therefore, according to that, they compare Naama to Ruth. That would tell us that she is possibly very righteous if she's compared to Ruth. So there we have to try to reconcile it that it could be that it's not that Naama made Rechavam go off the derech, but, it, but it's likely that because she came from that na- nation, she might have had inside her some of those bad traits, some of those bad traits, characteristics, 
And we know that sometimes it takes a couple generations to get all that out of you until you get all the, the schmutz out, like we saw with Abraham, had to have a Yishmael, and later Yitzchak had to have an Esav until we get to pure Yaakov. Here as well, there was a certain influence that she had. And so when Rechavon was born, he had some of that in her. And in a subtle way, she's what affected some of the bad things that happened during the kingdom of Rechavam. And now, God willing, in the next year, we're going to finish up the chapter, and we're going to see what exactly happened during the reign of Rechavam ben Shlomo.